everyone. I am back. This is Marilyn Hughes of the Out-of-Body Travel Foundation. I'm going to talk today about the inner life and some of his writings on the section from the great ones, Charles Ledbetter. I wanted to do this because he talks about how um, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics come and aid us and assist us in um, our spiritual journeying. So that's what we're going to talk about. Hello, John, and welcome to our live stream. Again, a quick reminder to everybody, please subscribe to our channel. It's very important. It creates more searchability for the Out-of-Body Travel Foundation so more people, more souls can find our work and what we are doing. Also, please consider becoming a member. You can click on the join button in your right um, and that will show you the various options that you have in becoming a member of the channel. Memberships make it possible for us to continue offering all of our resources freely to everyone in the world. And as I mentioned previously, we have people in every corner and crevice of the world, many of whom would not be able to, uh, you know, have or receive anything from our resources unless we are able to keep them free. So all of the ways that we can do that is very appreciated. And hello, Adriana. Thank you for joining us. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, I'll just apologize. I am recovering from a bad cough. And if you will just bear with that, we will just work around it. So I wanted to talk about this section from uh, Charles Ledbetter's The Inner Life. This is a, kind of a mystical theology from a theosophical perspective. So, you know, it's not just the Catholic Church that writes mystical theology. I have my section over here, and it is everybody. So, you know, the Catholic Church probably kind of has more material on mystical theology than any other faith or religion or belief system. But mystical theology is not just theirs. It belongs to many other fields of thinking, and Charles Ledbetter theosophical, um, very interesting as well. Now, what we're going to talk about here is how do these beings uh, from uh, higher worlds and the great masters, the prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics, um, how do they assist us? How does that work? I found some excellent selections on that, so I'm going to cover that here. Want to say hello to Sage. Hello, everybody, says Sage. Hello to you, Sage. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. So here we start. It says, E. Lester Smith and others have suggested some kind of non-material matrix or force field that is guiding growth and development and evolution. Hello, MT. Welcome to our live stream. Tehard de Chardin, the Jesuit paleontologist, put forth convincing arguments that the aim of evolution is the enhancement of consciousness 
by its expression in ever more refined forms. This agrees with our philosophy. In modern times, evolutionary changes in man's body are insignificant. Julian Huxley was the first to suggest that the evolutionary thrust is not physical but psychosocial. Man is the primary agent of evolution as he passes on his achievements and culture through language. According to the occult tradition, and I want to define occult means hidden. So when you hear that word, think hidden. So according to the hidden tradition, and again, we're reading from a theosophical text. So that's why they utilize this word. Man is still evolving in his ability to express his higher potentials, which reside in subtler, more spiritual levels. This unfoldment is proceeding according to a long-range scheme of evolution, which has been outlined by Madame Blavatsky, another writer in the Theosophical Movement. Man is destined to evolve through seven great stages called root races. This term does not coincide with the present understanding of the word race. In the hidden sense, a race is a quality of consciousness rather than a physical type. So far, the first five stages of consciousness or root races have appeared. The scheme of seven root races repeats itself seven times in great cycles termed rounds, some of which occurred in the distant past on super physical planes. We are now in the fourth round. From the hidden point of view, humanity is far older than anthropological data suggests. Mankind as a whole is in the fifth root race, which began development in prehistoric times in India, according to Madame Blavatsky. Each root race accentuates a particular quality associated with one of the bodies of man. The fifth root race emphasizes the development of the concrete rational mind. Just want to point out what we're talking about here, ironically, Adriana goes into a little bit of the question you were asking in our question and answer live stream about the origins of where do we begin? And so this kind of talks about that. Uh, root races are subdivided into sub races, each with its own secondary emphasis of quality. At present, the fifth sub race is dominant in America and Western Europe, causing a double emphasis on the rational mind. Hence, the phenomenal development of science and technology in the West. When they're speaking of phenomenal, they're speaking of it in terms of a phenomena, not like, wow, that's really great and cool. It's phenomenal as in a phenomena development. So these things are developing. The sixth subrace, which is now beginning to develop, will bring out the intuition and unitive insight. Foreshadowings of this can be found among some leading thinkers. 
It is impossible to identify to which sub-race individuals in an ethnic group belong. As anthropologists point out, differences within the group are often greater than differences between groups. The qualities of each race and sub-race are necessary and of equal value so that one cannot say earlier types are inferior to later types. The hidden view of evolution is not merely based on a linear progression, but on an expansion of consciousness in depth in which latent powers are actualized and brought under conscious control by the individual. So you see here, they're talking about everything that we speak of in my books, The Mysteries of the Redemption and otherwise, that consciousness determines our forward movement in evolution. So the hidden philosophy holds that a man or woman as an ego or soul reincarnates many times in each of the races, developing the various qualities they provide. And again, remember they're talking about root races, which are aspects of existence, not ethnic races, okay? Reincarnation is an ancient idea in Eastern philosophies and today is held by over half the world's population. In the West, even members of the scientific community are taking an interest. In recent years, Dr. Ian Stevenson has documented cases which seem inexplicable only through the concept of reincarnation. The hidden philosophy holds that the essential meaning of a life is assimilated and incorporated into the soul between incarnations. That's important. So in between each life, we are assimilating the knowledge of that lifetime. Eastern traditions teach that effects from the events and actions in one life can be carried over to other lives. Hidden tradition holds that the universe is an inseparable web whose interconnections are dynamic. This view is corroborated by modern physics and studies in ecology. According to Buddhism and Hinduism, the dynamic balance of life is maintained by the law of karma, which means action. Kapra defines karma as, quote, the active principle of the play, the total universe in action, where everything is dynamically connected with everything else, or in the words of the Bhagavad Gita, karma is the force of creation wherefrom all things have their life. The balance produced by karma results in order and lawfulness, which extends to the moral realm and human activity. Here we're talking about purification. The biblical expression, as ye sow, so shall ye reap, captures the essence of this law at work. The result of our actions becomes manifest, not only in the events and circumstances of our lives, but in our characters. 
Speaking of the teaching of the Vedanta, Zimmer says, the karma bearing fruit is the incidents and elements of our present biography, as well as the traits and dispositions of the personality producing and enduring them. Hello, Elmar, welcome back. Lama Govinda comments on the mechanism at work here. For character is nothing but the tendency of our will formed by repeated actions. Every deed leaves a trace, a path formed by the process of walking. And whenever such a once trodden path exists, there we find when a similar situation arises that we take to this path spontaneously. This is the law of action and reaction, which we call karma, the law of movement in the direction of the least resistance. It is what is commonly known as the force of habit. When departing from one and entering into another life, it is the consciousness thus formed which constitutes the nucleus or germ of the new embodiment. So in Ledbetter's terminology, this nucleus consists of permanent atoms which persist from one incarnation to another. An atom of matter from each of the lower planes becomes attached to a monad to serve as a repository of experience on that plane through all that individual's series of incarnations. The Buddhist notion of skandhas is similar to this idea. Thus man himself is seen to be the author of his destiny, some of which he wrote in the distant past. But the results of his actions are not so much rewards and punishments as educative experiences for his growth. Furthermore, karma does not imply a fixed predestination. New attitudes and ways of responding to circumstances serve as new causes which can alter but not obliterate the outcome of previous actions. As a man becomes more in control of himself, he can have greater conscious influence on the course of his life. All religions teach of a way to quicken spiritual unfoldment. Spiritual practices such as yoga, meditation, prayer, mantras are designed to awaken latent powers. In this book, Ledbetter refers to many aspects of the inner life which are involved with spiritual growth. The talks from which the book was compiled were addressed to students on the path of spiritual unfoldment, seeking to develop themselves in order to be of greater service. Letter, Ledbetter refers frequently to adepts, masters, and other highly evolved beings. The existence of such beings is a natural consequence of the law of evolution of conscious life. In the East, the existence of spiritually mature persons 
is taken for granted. The guru-disciple tradition is based on this assumption. The West, too, has recognized initiates and adepts, particularly in ancient Egypt and in the days of the Greek mystery schools. Hidden tradition, as well as Oriental philosophy, posit grade on grade of evolved beings in an endless hierarchy. A few of these are known as great men of history, while most work silently and in seclusion. Various types of advanced beings are referred to as adepts, chohans, dhyan chohans, divas, and so on. They are distinct individual beings, yet they all inhere and are centers in the one divine universal life. Ledbetter particularly emphasize a being far beyond the level of mankind when he refers to as the solar logos. According to Ledbetter, the life of the godlike being pervades, sustains, and guides the entire solar system. And this was written in an introduction by Shirley Nicholson on November 6th of 1977, trying to summarize and introduce Charles Ledbetter's work on the inner life. I want to give you a couple of passages from Ledbetter himself, which talks about these prophets, saints, mystics, sages, and ascetics who work with us on earth. Most of our students are familiar with the thought of the four stages of the path of holiness and are aware that a man who has passed through them and attained to the level of the Aseka has achieved the task set before humanity during this chain period and is consequently free from the necessity of reincarnation on this planet or on any other. What is the biggest question that I receive from people is, I don't want to come back again. I don't want to have to reincarnate. What do I do so that I don't have to reincarnate? This is what we're talking about. This is the purification path. Before him then opens seven ways among which he must choose. Most of them take him away from this earth into a wider sphere of activity, probably connected with the solar system as a whole, so that the great majority of those members of our humanity who had already reached this goal have passed entirely out of our ken. The limited number who are still working directly for us may divide, be divided into two classes, those who retain physical bodies and those who do not. And he says over here, Thus it may be seen that the evolution of the world is by no means left to itself. To get along as best it may, as people so often rashly suppose. On the contrary, it is being directed. For this hierarchy of adepts is actually managing it as far as it is possible to manage it while leaving its, its inhabitants their own free will. The members of the brotherhood through their agents are constantly trying to work 
with the people of the world, putting advice and suggestions into their minds, endeavoring to move them onwards towards the great future of universal brotherhood when war shall have disappeared. But we must remember that the karma of all the people concerned has to be considered and respected. It would no doubt be easy to force the world along at a far more rapid rate, but that would not be for the real advantage of the people concerned. And so we see from this great theosophical mind, Charles Ledbetter, and the person who tried to summarize his works, how this fantastic plan of purification works and is known to all paths of religious thought, and that this is the manner in which we can achieve the, the, the necessity uh, consequences, the necess necessary state of being, of consciousness, to actually have the potential not to have to reincarnate again in this world or any other. It's all about purification, discrimination, and discipline. And we see that across the board. So here's a theosophical text that talks about it. We see it in Catholic mystical theology. We see it in Sufi mysticism. We see it in just about everything. And we're going to come back here in just a minute to talk about some writings from Nikarinde Shonen, a Buddhist teacher, on the mystic state as well. Uh, again, please subscribe to our channel. It makes us more viewable, more findable in searches. Please consider becoming a member if you aren't already. Join button at the top right of the page will show you your options this makes it possible for us to keep our resources free to everyone in the world. Thank you for joining me for that today, and we will see you in a few minutes.